0: we had one call that uh because i was a supervisor we were making the uh, tape for the fire department you could hear the person talking and then they stopped talking so you could tell what was going on with your fire ground experience Uh, that was hard to listen to because you knew what was going on and what needed to be done can't can't do anything through a telephone right
1: Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson, and uh, joining me once again today is Henry Rosenbaum with uh, co hosting, co producing, and hosting duties.
2: Thank you, Robbie. Good and to see my you.
1: titles get longer and longer every and, time. and Right along with that zero sum paycheck. Oh, wow,
2: that's, that's okay. I'm collecting them all. There
1: you go. And uh, there's pretty much one consistent thing in the uh, fire and emergency services field it's that uh, virtually every call starts the exact same way, and that's by somebody dialing 911 and it's that initial contact that gets the critical information needed to the response agencies and gets the right and closest unit responding to that emergency. But often those professionals who are responsible for taking those calls, asking the right questions and giving those callers direction and notifying the responders don't get the credit they deserve. Today, we're going to hear from some of the, hear some stories from the other side of that radio, if you will, and see if uh, we can learn a bit more about how those processes work and how those challenges are for what uh, some people call dispatchers or emergency communications officers or radio op- radio operators, uh, whatever you wind up call them, and uh, learn more about the challenges that they face. So please welcome a retired communications officer from Henrico County, Virginia, Lee Gilbert. Lee, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine. And your, uh, your experience goes well beyond just the radio, too, as well. Uh, uh, you, you've been retired. You were a supervisor.
0: Supervisor retired in uh, 2013. Okay, so you've
1: been been out of the game so fo- somewhat for a little while, and we'll get into kind of what you're doing now. But uh, let's go back to the beginning, if we will. How did you get involved in becoming a radio operator, emergency communicator? What, what's the what's the right term first off? All the above. All the above.
0: Yeah, you don't have thin feathers with the name calling. <laughs> but uh i uh, started back in the uh, 70s i was a fire cadet at number eight and uh in henrico in henrico oh. yeah. and uh then uh chief fisher ta- i talked to him and said you know i wanted to be going to the fire department they had the eyesight restriction so it you know the big e on the eye charts 400 Well, I couldn't see the Big E. I was like 2,600. Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) uh, that kept me off. And he said, well, you know, go uh, see if you can get a job in communications and see if you can transfer over later. So March fifth, 1975, I started in communications at Dab's house in the basement. And they had uh, a fire console and a police console in a five button handset and then um we w- get
1: what about uh computers they weren't there weren't no computers handwritten uh all run hand cards. Rid-
0: it was a eight and a half by eleven colored different colored sheets for the type of call it was yeah. and so you filled out the sheet pass it up to the radio operators and they give the call out stamp it and uh Stamp
1: it from uh, the time received? The time
0: received, yep. Yeah, time dispatched, time on scene, and then time cleared. And then the officers would call in their reports, and we'd have to type them up. It was a 14 by 17 sheet of paper, and the books were like five inches thick with reports, and that's how they kept them.
2: That was for fire and police, or?
0: Uh, mainly police. Okay and uh yeah didn't like typing those reports but that's finally years down the road they did their own but they had a conveyor belt in a box like you see on old adam 12 they They'd put the card in and slide it up to the radio operator well that wasn't in operation when i started and then they ended up putting that in and you it card only went for about 10 feet up to the radio operator and then they stamped the card and put them in little slots
1: and is that that's how they kept track of what units were running or out yep.
0: or they uh, uh toggle switch you put the card in the slot and it'd be either either green or red when you put it in it was red meaning they were out of service
1: they're busy How hmm. <clears> it <throat> was uh you know I'm thinking back to our old Lakeside days, and you know when we started, we were the EMS dispatchers for the squads. I'm oh, yeah. Know, we, uh, so did you guys take note? Yeah. You know, what, what happened when when somebody called in and said, I'm having a heart attack, chest pain, whatever the. Oh. Um, sorry. So here's the here's the seven digit number to the rescue squad you need.
0: It, well, exactly, and uh, we all since we were all in the squad, I was at Tuckahoe, and uh, we each were dispatchers. Yeah, that's and how you started yeah. before you
1: rode on the ambulance. Yep. Well, we, at fifteen, they wouldn't let us ride on the ambulance officially. So officially, <laughs> here, here, be in charge of sending units, but you can't be on one. Right.
0: So yeah, the nine one one center they they uh, transfer them to the rescue squad. They ring downs. And I they'd remember transfer
1: the ring us. downs. Yeah. Yep. Did they? Uh, yeah, i I think back I, when I was in elementary school. I think when nine one one came about was when you got started. Was there already a nine one one line? Nope. Everybody, Everybody
0: a dialed the seven-digit emergency number.
1: Emergency number. Yeah. And if
2: you needed a Lakeside Ambulance or a Tuckahoe Ambulance or, or Henrico or West End, you called the yep. seven-digit number. And then, and uh, if you
0: didn't have a crew after you tried to get your own people, then you call the other squad.
2: Yep. And what, what was involved in getting the crews then?
0: You had a duty board, and you pretty much knew who was on duty mm-hmm. or who was available, shift work people. And then you just go down and call the people. Hey, can you go on a call? Yeah, hey, I can go.
1: Yep. You call so them at home. Hey, they, right, they, we'll have the ambulance on the ramp for you when tw- you 20, here. 20, 30 minutes later
0: they leave the building.
2: Yeah. We used to set off the pagers and plectrons to try to get cr- crews and then uh it wouldn't be uncommon for us just pick A squad couldn't get anybody to respond and they'd call their neighboring squad. Yep. And it would they'd go through their matrix of people and process and so it, unfortunately it was 30-40 Maybe an hour before an ambulance showed up in some cases. Yep. And then um, but then it all eventually led over to where Henrico Communications took all that over. And uh you were working at that point.
0: Yep. Um, While we're down at Dab's house, the uh the two radio console went to a third console which was a fire radio, which they put the fire radio in a old bathroom, took the bathroom <laughs> out put the fire radio in there. And that's <coughs> when they had those push buttons for the tones mm-hmm. and people would set a book on there or they'd sit on the console and all those buttons that you couldn't stop and once they were pushed down they were coming back up but it was alerting everybody.
1: Me, you put the right book on there and everybody in the county's yeah, awake. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> mm. So go, go back to your uh, cadet days at number eight and um what what type of things were you doing as a cadet at the fire station? The cadets
0: like were under the division of forestry. Okay. And uh We got, if we were called out by the forestry, we'd get 80 cents an hour. And we'd use the Indian tank backpacks and uh, the forestry breaks. Mm. And I remember one fire that I was on, um, Gaten Road, Gaten and Broad, behind Stranges. They had all those woods, big old woods fire.
1: There's not many woods back there right now. No, not not (laughs) at all.
0: (laughs) And they put us on the fire line, and it was getting dark, and it was getting chilly. So I uh, hadn't seen anybody for a while. So I put some em- uh, sticks on a fire to get it going to keep warm, and somebody came running down there, hey, what's going on? Said, we thought the fire came back up. I said, no, I've been out here a while. Oh,
1: Dude, They forget about you. They forgot about <laughs> me. Oh. Oh, heck, that's your, that's your signal flare. No <laughs> yeah. radio? Okay, I'll exactly. get you down Exactly.
2: I'll get you to come down here. And, and we've heard other people talk about being a cadet. So it seemed like that, if you were young and wanted to be involved in fire service, that was the path that you would take back then was to yep. be a cadet.
0: Yep, and then moved from, I think it was 15 to 21, you were mm-hmm. a cadet. Okay. And then volunteers at 21.
2: Gotcha. Wow. How,
1: how did you get involved with Tuckahoe? Make that, yeah, the the transition from the stuff burning to the stuff bleeding.
0: Well, I was still a, a fire cadet and volunteer and then I went to communications in 75 and I met our, our buddy Ed Rhodes yes and uh, he was in Tuckahoe and I knew Earl Williams from Tuckahoe from high school but uh, Ed got me to join Tuckahoe so November of that year I joined Tuckahoe and I was there and became a life member and uh, somebody found out and the newspaper did a article on me the man of three uniforms so I had <laughs> fire department communications and rescue so
1: and you just kept doing all of them at least for a while
0: until um the police department I um wanted to grow a beard and they uh, said that no you can't the rules say that you got to be clean shaven and I said well, as a communications officer, as a communications officer, we wore the same uniform—the blue and gray—but okay. a different pattern. So the
1: ECOs were—they were actually under the police department. Under
0: always, still are oh. under the police department for Henrico. Yes. So uh, not not uncommon, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. So um, you did blue and gray, and the people uh, would confuse us with police officers if you went anywhere. Uh, off-duty to the store or something like that. So we changed uniforms. Keep that mic
1: pulled right down in front of You, you just pull it, you can move it around. But uh, there you
0: go. Ed got me to join, so.
1: It so was, it's it, his fault. Yeah, yeah and, and then,
0: then for the police department, I uh, wanted to grow a beard. And so they said, no. Uh, says you can't, gotta be clean-shaven. Well, I said, well, the rules say each and every sworn member. I said, "Well, I'm not sworn."
1: Kick that up just a little bit. There we go. That work.
0: And uh, so they said, "Well, you got to go talk to the chief," and that was Chief Hedrick. So I went to see him, and he said, "Yeah, you're right." So I was asked, "Did you just keep it neat and trim?" I said, "Yes, sir." Mm-hmm. So of course, and then the fire department didn't like the beard, so then I got out of the fire department.
1: As, a, as the as the okay as, the as volunteer a volunteer volunteer. Yeah. And this yeah. was probably way before. You know the regulations from OSHA and the NFPA standards. That says you can't have anything to interfere right. with the COM. Yep.
0: Yeah. So I, yeah, I, had to, I even got a uh, frame for my mask for my eyes, for my vision. So
1: well, that's interesting. You're the second person that's been on here that uh, Henrico Fire wouldn't hire because of their vision. Ken Tanner was the other one. I do remember that. Because Ken, Ken said he had he had applied in Henrico and Chesterfield, and Henrico had the vision requirement and. He went to Chesterfield, and Bob Eanes asked him, he said, well, if your glasses fall off, can you stop the fire truck? And That's he went, exactly yeah. That's what they asked me. He said, uh, there you go.
0: Of course, I'd say yeah, too. But I, <laughs> I didn't, it didn't it, work here in
2: Enrico, did it?
0: But the year after that, they changed the restriction. Ed Rhodes got hired as a firefighter because he had the same so vision. So he had glasses, rock. too. Wow. Had, yep. And he got hired, and I tried to take tests, and there was too many applicants, and I didn't score that high. Uh-oh. So I stayed in communications, so hmm. thirty-eight hmm. years.
1: Seems like it worked out for you. It did. So, what what were some of the big changes? I mean, technology is probably the biggest one, from those cards and boxes to computer aided dispatch. What are what other are kinds of things did uh, that happened over your career that kind of changed the face of how you did business in the in the basements? I, I know ours used to be in the basement, so
0: yeah. And it, when we moved over to um, Public Safety Building that was at Prince Henry in Parham. We were in the basement there. And uh, that's when we went to um, computers. Two monochrome uh, computers. One that worked in computer and the other was a status. And then we went to a 60-button set, phone set. And uh, we had more people. And uh, new radio system.
1: What were those computers doing? Was it um, taking place of the cards and the slots yep. and the colored you, lights? And
0: you still had cards as backup because computers, they go down. So um, that was a primary how they, they got calls. They We put it in in the service side. We had a front-end service side concept where the people would take calls, put it in the computer, and then fire and police would pick that up and dispatch.
1: The the dispatchers for each discipline. For each
0: discipline, yeah. If you had a emergency, the people on the front end could actually go over the radio and give out the call.
1: What what kind of information were you gathering from callers at, back in the early days, the seventies? What, what were you just? It was a here's your call type, where you're going, and that, or was there anything more to it? When that you first w- that started w-
0: that was it you were getting name address phone number location any uh, uh, details um, that were that they could provide we weren't doing any uh, pre-arrival instruction' we've transferred medical over to the rescue squads and then uh, then we started sending uh, fire apparatus as first responders
1: but before you took over the EMS dispatching duties or was that correct kind of, okay
2: yeah. I guess it was in the nineteen late eighties, eighty eight time frame yeah. that when um it was it just wasn't working by each rescue squad receiving their own emergency calls and that's when communications took over dispatching for all at that time it was the four rescue squads in the county. It was Tuckahoe, Lakeside, Henrico and West End. West End
1: was there too, yeah. And
2: um so essentially it was 911 system that you could call to get fire EMS or or police law enforcement.
1: What well, was uh you know, I've always kind of one of our. I won't dime him out too much here, but um, <laughs> when the when when our CAD system went in, and you know when you put in the call type, it says send these units based on geography and call type, and one of the company officers went, um, you know, well, why did you do that? And the dispatcher said, well, the CAD system told me to. And he goes, well, let me talk to the CAD system then. And that, that earned him a shift in the comm center <laughs>
0: yeah. to
1: kind of get an appreciation for what was uh, what was going on in the basement at the time. Uh, what were some of the challenges of working with either police officers or firefighters or EMTs or medic crews in the field that they didn't get a – they didn't understand what you were doing on your end of the radio uh, that kind of created a um, – I don't want to say conflict, but maybe some frustration on either side.
0: Yeah. Uh. It still happens today no <laughs> so, so you could uh, and i've been called out on it before your voice infractions when you're talking on the radio
1: you sounded mad <laughs> exactly <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: and you see these you know things you know on facebook where you have a radio operator that uh, little caption that says this is my get off shift late list
1: <laughs> so you could assign that little call hey, yeah officer so-and-so remember yep <laughs> that never happened did it of course it did yeah <laughs> there's always a way to get back there's never never don't get mad get even yeah hmm. uh, what about uh for, let's focus on your time in the squad because uh you went from uh, emt to cardiac tech back in the day yes what uh what type of calls kind of stuck in your mind? Anything back then that uh really stands out as a memorable call for one whatever reason?
0: Uh not in uh my car deck days, but we went to an accident short pump in Broad Street and uh somebody had gone through the, the car window and uh had cut the uh, their juggler and uh we ended up taking them down to Saint Mary's. They had a pulse when we got there, so
1: so you did your job?
2: Did my job. Yeah, there you so.
1: go. That's Good. it. Did you
2: always stay at Tuckahoe? Always,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Did sure. you ever, uh, were you ever part of the crew that came over to Lakeside and covered for banquets? I did. Yeah.
0: Uh, one year I was on that uh, crash truck, and it was snowing. And they said, well, don't
1: take that uh, truck out in the I snow. I remember that you year. You remember that story? I think uh, I do.
0: And uh popped down <laughs> that Hilliard Max. Road hill. And that traffic light was red for me, and my I was, I was, foot was on that cue and <laughs> went right on <laughs> through that intersection.
1: That was the old MC yeah. series Mac. Mac, yep. Oh, man. Uh, Rescue 11.
2: Yep. Yep. Hashtag 11. Uh, well, 11. is it
1: true that
2: the Tuckahoe members are who caused the crack in the floor upstairs when y'all stayed over? Throughout the years.
0: No, I don't remember anything about that. Yeah, good Uh, good answer. That didn't involve me. Good answer.
2: (laughs) That's what the Lakeside members will say is Uh, that Tuckahoe members caused that crack.
0: They probably.
1: (laughs) All I remember is we we used to go cover Tuckahoe and Tuckahoe covered us. And I think we staffed the other squad better than we did our own because we we could take their ambulances out to dinner and catch all the good restaurants in the West End. Yep. Yeah,
2: that that was that was some good times. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just that all three squads, I four squads, when Weston was officially running the calls in the county, would would help each other out. And yeah, I think Tucker
1: would have had a better pool table too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but y'all had the recipe at Lakeside.
1: Right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. That's, we'll probably bring bring that story up one day again, but. Uh, so what about from the, uh, the, what's it like being on the other end of that telephone when somebody calls in and they've got an emergency and and, and wh- what's that like? I mean, I've never never done that really from a, other than a, when I was at Lakeside and then it was mostly, I, I say, routine emergency medical calls. It was send me an ambulance because somebody's sick and oh, yes, ma'am, sir, they're on the way, click, and that was it for me.
0: Yeah, Your main effort is to get that address so you can send somebody out there. And then, of course, you'd like to get their name and their phone number for callback reasons. But that was at the hardest if they're upset or belligerent. So, mm-hmm.
1: ever had any uh, um, memorable calls from a standpoint of giving those pre-arrival instructions? Once they started becoming a kind of the standard, and
0: what uh, yeah, the choking calls where you get somebody choking and you're able to just. Tell the person on the other side of the phone to do the Heimlich maneuver. Uh, childbirth, uh, of course if the baby's coming, it's coming. You can't stop it, but just to help the people out that way. And then the CPR instructions keeps them busy.
1: What would be the most important skill you think that that person on your end of the phone has to have to keep the other person uh, squared away? Because I, I can imagine getting I, – I would get – more excited listening to them getting excited as you go through it
0: yes uh, if you get excited they'll continue to be excited so you have to try to calm yourself down uh, listen uh, because you can hear a lot of details on the background of the phone listening
2: how about on the calls with um, a a police call or you can do something to help out the officers for their officer safety and
0: yeah, well our standard is you know ask if they have weapons,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, location. Have somebody come out to the street, or what are they wearing is the biggest thing. Descriptions, what kind of vehicles, and uh,
2: and then maybe giving them some directions on what to do to keep themselves safe if they're the caller and somebody's exactly in the house or in a in a position to cause harm to them.
0: Yeah, we had uh, one that had a house fire and was able to uh, tell them stay low to the ground feel the door if it was hot you know stay away from it and you know open the window to flag somebody down we had one call that uh, because I was a supervisor we were making the uh, tape for the fire department you could hear the person talking and then they stopped talking so you could tell what was going on mm-hmm. with your fire ground experience uh, that was hard to listen to because you knew what was going on and what needed to be done but
1: you can't do it through can't a telephone. do anything
0: through no. a telephone
2: right no. but what you can do is relay that information to the True. responders yes. yes yeah you know robbie we always think that you know it's the the men and women from police fire ems that are saving lives out there but It's also the dispatchers uh, that are saving lives because the the pre-arrival instructions that they're giving um, or directing directing somebody to do something to protect themselves, that's really what's saving lives in in the beginning phases. Those
0: pre-arrival questions are the hardest because people don't want you... Their main reason for calling is to get that ambulance or that police officer to the scene. When you have uh questions that are pretty much mandated by the doctor in charge of the program uh it's you're because you're evaluated on whether or not you ask all these questions so that's trying to convince the people to you know it's only a few questions
1: and i thought i think they don't understand that you're on the phone there's another dispatcher over there on the radio there's probably another half dozen behind you doing stuff so as soon as you hit those keys that call goes over there and fire trucks ambulance's police cars are coming
0: we had a one-minute dispatch time.
1: So from ring time to yep. unit going, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much a standard. I think it's yeah. it's kind of the how quick you get that initial information, send it, let them get their units going, and then then and, and then the conversation can be a little more casual. But it's awful hard to convince that caller. Yep, helps coming. They're on the way. Yep. With
2: the uh, the advent of uh, cell phones coming into play. Um, what would you see with a, a 911 call uh, with cell phones? Was that helpful or not helpful? Or,
0: of course, a landline uh, is the best way because it's a established address. Mm-hmm. Phones they have to hit two towers, and the mapping system that you have now pinpoints it within uh, 300 feet. I think was when when I started out, so you can. Uh, you know, it helps telling the officers, or if you got multiple calls and say, "Well, I'm in another accident," and you say, "Well, yeah, I can see that on our map," and try to relay that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think what I've seen now is just that is the um, the actual uh, GPS location of where yep. the caller is calling from. Um, but what's also interesting is because everybody has a cell phone, is that it's not just one call coming in for the accident or the for the fire; it can be a handful several. several calls which can be good but yet that's several calls that you've got to answer over and over to let people know that that you uh, know about the house fire or the accident and that units are en route.
1: Hey, what do you, what do you think the the impact was when they when 911 came into play? What what was the change in technology? How easier did it make your job? Did it make the caller's job easier, and what what type of impact did that have? And I've got a I got a story about calling nine one one, and I'll share after you do this. But uh so what what did what did that do to you as a as a dispatcher?
0: Well, <clears throat> I was uh, on the uh called an EBSAG committee, which was phone companies' list of here are all the uh, residences in the where the bill would be they'd send the bill to. So I was on this committee, and we had to go to all the border uh, residents and decide if they were in the city or the county. And uh, we'd go by tax assessment. If their house was more of it was in the county, they'd get to call in the county. You always had that in the beginning. A uh, city person would call, and it would be answered by Henrika and we'd have to transfer it over. Same with the city.
1: So, you had to do, you had to go manually street address by street address and put them into a bucket.
2: On
0: the on the border, yeah. Oh, wow. Hmm.
1: Did it make it easier on your end? Because was that when, did they have the, I think it's called Annie Alley, the yep. address attached to it yep. when it comes across? Did that make it a little bit make easier? Easier, yep. So, it was much of verification.
0: Verify the number and the address. Oh. Oh.
2: Hey, you mentioned the other communication centers like Richmond, maybe Hanover. What was the relationship between. A, a communication center to another, and maybe even the state police?
0: Well, we had a very good relationship. I know uh, with the city of Richmond on midnight shift, we talked to them on the phone. Our good buddy uh, Bruce Bullington, the Iceman, and Patrick Ware, you know, they have started when I did, and they would patch us into some of the calls that they took and the things they did. We couldn't do in Henrico; that would get you in trouble.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So you actually had relationships, friends, oh yeah. in these other uh, localities and uh, or departments, and uh, would call them by first name and, and oh yeah, uh, could reach out to them. And and you talked about the shifts. So what type of shifts would a dispatcher work?
0: When I first started, we were working a um, twenty-eight day cycle. Six days on, two days off. On a, you were on a midnight shift twenty-eight days, then you go to day shift, and then you go to evening shift. So it rotated like that. So
1: mm-hmm. you pretty much do a month on days, month yep. on evenings, yeah.
0: And then uh, they went to the uh, seven two like police officers shift, and then uh, then we tried a shift. Uh, one communications officer came up with uh, a. Uh, for permanent midnights, it was great work eight off six so by the fourth day you were you were already in the midnight mode and so those other four were nothing Pretty easy And then you got that week off afterwards because you always overlapped with the other person on Friday so you could take that take turns taking that day off so you work seven off seven it hmm. was the best shift
2: yeah, bad. but that was only for the midnights yes and days. then the
0: day evening they did the uh, four tens, mm-hmm. four days, ten four hour ten days. days. Four.
2: Did yeah. they match up with the officer schedule?
0: We started off matching up with the officers, and that was one of the good things about it. You worked with the same shift. You knew their voices. You knew when they got in trouble by their voice, and they knew you. And so you worked real well. And then they split us up and mixed all the. So you didn't work with the same people. Mm-hmm.
1: There's a rumor that there might have been some practical jokes played in a firehouse. I think we did an episode on that this year with JP. Not Jericho. No, I've got I've got evidence of that too, but we we won't go there. I in remember the commu- in, those days. in the communication center, were there ever any pranks or practical jokes played? Partic- maybe even on those midnight shifts when uh, you know, supervision was a little bit less or the time was a little bit more free?
0: Yeah, well back when I was at Dab's House, they had this mannequin that they used for a recruitment, and had a uniform on, and uh, I would take that mannequin and put it in the entrance to the bathroom, and you were in the radio. Somebody goes break, and then you hear them scream.
2: It's, uh, <laughs> I think what I heard him say is someone would take that mannequin <laughs>
1: and stick it near the entrance. <laughs> someone. Uh, I've, I've also heard someone put on Aunt, uh, recess Annie's face and clothes before. And I uh, scare somebody, but yeah. uh, well, I won't use any names, Henry Rosemont.
2: Yeah, I heard you could take Annie's face and it yeah. would actually peel off. True. But, yes.
1: So I'll tell my 911 story. Um, it was in Ireland. Oddly enough, they don't have 911, as I figured out pretty quick. And, uh, the girl I was dating at the time, she and I were there with another couple, and uh, we were in the back seat of the car going somewhere up Northern Ireland. And This motorcycle goes zipping past, and a car turns left in front of him. Motorcycle hits the front of the car. Both of us jump out and tell the, girl and the other girl in the car, call 911. We jump out and go start tr- taking a look at this guy who had been s- t- sailed across the hood of this car, and she goes, wait a minute, what's the number to 911 here? <laughs> and literally, it's not. It's 999 in Ireland. Hmm. So uh, my experience with that was one of the locals called 999. This guy, not hurt too bad, banged up his knee a little bit, but uh, he wanted to get up and stand up, And yeah all right you look like you're not you're waking up and had a good helmet good clothes and the, the local handed me the phone they want to talk to you i said hey i'm a, I'm a medic from the states here's the deal told him kind of a report and she he said under no circumstances let him get up and i'm like dude he's already standing up and i'm not wrestling him he really should lay down and i'm like i'll let him know but i'm not wrestling him right. so that was the pre-arrival instructions i was given yeah,
0: you could tell the frustration in his voice because he knew what was supposed to happen, and it wasn't happening. S- right.
1: Some dude from the States was in here telling him that something else was happening. Yep.
2: Yeah, and those lists of pre-arrival instructions are pretty detailed now, not only for medical calls but also for fire calls.
0: Fire, and uh, they have yeah. them for police as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: so it's uh, – I mean, we've come a long ways from yeah. not only just answering the phone and gathering the, the address and a phone number and a
1: name to – Actually rendering?
0: Actually makes the call go faster with the scripts.
1: Good. Because you've you've, you're following the, yep. the process, if you will. Yep.
2: D- being a medic and having that uh, experience, street experience, is it hard to follow that ex- script sometimes? Uh, no. No? Okay.
0: No. Because basically the uh, – you very limited what you can give, mm-hmm. but CPR was, you know, one of the biggest things. But uh, yeah.
1: So after uh, what thirty-eight years between your was that cadet time to retirement?
0: That was strictly communications. So
1: how much to add in the cadet years before that? How much time did you spend uh, on duty on active duty in S- service?
0: Uh, sixteen.
1: Before. Yeah, that was w- six
0: age sixteen when I was a fire cadet. And, of course, the firehouse being a, a block away, the siren would go off. And there was one time when I was a volunteer monitoring the uh, scanner and the police officer had called in a, a woods fire. So I said, hey, that's in my area. So I got dressed, ran down to the firehouse, was sitting on the uh, bumper of number eight when the Claxton went off say what are you doing here did you set that fire <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're a suspect uh, well. you're just out in front of the game so uh certainly 40, 40 plus years of uh of service what yep. um what what advice would you give to two different groups one is you know that your your the emergency communications officers coming on today what would you tell them to to kind of help them through their career from your experience of. Thirty-eight years working the radio, supervising those that did, and working that service. What would you tell them to help them with their career?
0: Well, it's it's hard getting communications officers uh, right now. Everybody's short down in Florida. They're short, but uh, and people don't want to work now. In fact, they're quitting their jobs. So you would think that with all the openings that. People would be flocking in, or you wouldn't have a problem. But uh, it's, it takes somebody to be multitasker. As age, I can tell you from experience, when the older people came in, they were applicants. You couldn't discriminate, but you could tell they were struggling, and a lot of them didn't make it. In fact, I couldn't do it today with all my background it's just too fast paced.
1: So there's more you got to keep track of m- multiple, multiple pieces things. multiple moving yep. pieces. So that multitasking thing is critical.
0: Yep. You have to type talk same time.
1: <laughs> on the radio telephone. <laughs> yeah. Not not saying appropriate things on the radio and that so would be my challenge. Hurt. You moron. Oh, oops. Uh, oops. Uh, wrong button. <laughs> uh,
0: we had some blooper tapes that uh back in the when we did that public safety building at Prince Henry and Parham, the radio system, Orbicon. Uh, for some reason, the mics would get stuck, and there was a lot of stuff we recorded back then.
1: Oh, we got to get our hands on those tapes.
0: Yeah. Val Jackson and her hooray for Hollywood <laughs> singing on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> on oh, the
1: police radio or the fire radio? Or- it is police. Yeah, so there was yeah. a plenty of folks out there listening.
0: And then – because of the radio system dead you know, Gaskins in the bottom, the radio reception was poor. And so we had a police officer, and his radio was, was breaking up. And so we were training this uh, girl. In uh, I think Jimmy Hancock was involved. And uh, he said, tell him to come back in the county because his radio was breaking up. Indicating that he was out of the county and mm-hmm. to come back in, he says, "Radio, I'm in the county."
2: <laughs> yeah, and that was all pre uh, 800 Eight, type yeah. system, yep. digital yep. systems, yep. Uh, VHF or UHF yeah, systems. High bands. So. Uh,
1: very little repeater system.
2: I mean, you had mm-hmm. to hit a tower to get to the repeater to go out back out.
1: So, so uh, having been on both sides of that radio, what would you give? Uh, what advice would you give to the new firefighters and police officers out there coming on the job? What, what would what do they need to know about the work you were doing in that basement or in that radio room in front of that computer that will make maybe make both of their jobs ha- easier? Yeah,
0: just just be patient, and uh, it's not always what you it seems because um, we try to ask them things for officer safety and fire safety, but they don't always give it. And in fact, they'll tell us one thing, and then when they get on the scene, it's an entirely different thing we can't control that it's all on tape that saves us more than it hurts us
1: yeah and patients will never do that you have it taken many to the hospital yeah. and said he, or does your chest hurt no no right, no exactly. no no get to the hospital yeah it hurts right here i'm like what the <laughs> you've been telling me for a half hour yeah well uh yeah, so where where are you now you've uh, retired and moved to sunny florida what yep, are you what down, are you doing down there
0: moved down to saint augustine florida in 2016 and um Found looking through to see what kind of volunteer stuff I could get into and they had a group called the second alarmers so I joined them and it's a group about 30 of us and our role is to um, go to fire scenes and uh, rehab uh, but we do uh, we fill air bottles to the cascade system and hand out water and occasionally help roll up hose
1: uh, so still. still, still active in the still, community. Yep. So, uh, well, thank you. And it's similar to what uh, the Richmond Flying Squad does. Yes. We head on here, and uh, I think Jim Murphy we've had on here a time as well, and he does the same thing down in Georgia. So, uh, those services are, are out there happening. Thankfully, uh, I know the guys in the in the field certainly appreciate the work that's going on. So, thank you for that. Anything else you want to share with us? Any other words of wisdom from behind the microphone, both this microphone and the the communication center microphone
0: no i enjoyed my career uh, you always the you, longer you stayed the more money you made the harder it was to leave and start somewhere else so so
1: when I, did you when did you know it was time to, to pull the plug and move on was there a day you just kind of went, yeah it's time
0: yeah the uh management and the things you had to go through and is it's just time to go
1: and you were eligible probably you could draw retirement from that yeah, point. And, yeah.
0: and the wife says you you can retire you'll do okay i said okay
1: yeah. at <laughs> least was, she didn't say i'm retiring you can come with me or stay here if you want <laughs> well
0: i had a honeydew list to do oh yeah uh, she was still working yeah.
2: so. so 38 years do you think you'll see people working that job for 38 years i doubt now? it it's tough it is it's tough and hats off to you and and all the other dispatchers that are have been before you worked with you retired now um and the, to the dispatchers that are currently working um both men and women it's uh yep. it's an amazing job and i know from being on the the side of the radio I greatly appreciate what you do and and uh, that comfort voice that's there
1: yeah uh, and i in my recruit school this was uh 83 they actually made us do a tour in the comm center um we weren't all we had a recruit school of five so it was over five days we were in the comm center for I think maybe one eight hour shift but it was at least a half an evening shift to kind of see what was going on in the back side of the radio and that they gave me from day one a, one I had an appreciation from the squad side but it was certainly way different in a professional communication center like we had in the basement of the courthouse back in the day so uh heck, those guys and gals that are riding police cars and fire trucks maybe don't quite understand or appreciate what goes on in the in those darkened rooms behind those computer screens.
0: And when they go through and do a four-hour tour, they they soon forget after they get back out on the street. Yeah.
1: hope maybe they need another one. That way, they won't come back and ask to speak to the computer because well, <laughs> as short as
0: everybody is, they're having to come in and work.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, when I was in the office uh, and part of the staff position was to go in and work the EOC, ECC when we had major incidents or a lot of call volume and I I walked in and I said what do you guys want me to do how can I make it easy on you because I certainly didn't want to come in and take over because those are the professionals working the radio and if they knew of a weakness or a gap and I could fill it they put me on answering calls one day I said are you sure you really want to do that <laughs> yes that's what we need okay here we go <laughs> yeah. So. Uh- Lee, anything else to share?
2: No. All right. Well, Lee, we appreciate you coming.
1: Yeah. Thanks. I'm glad we caught up with you while you're up in Richmond. And uh, have a Merry Christmas and safe travels back to the Sunshine State and uh, enjoy that retirement. Yeah, thank you. Keep Same in touch. to y'all. All right. Thanks, Henry. Thank you, Robbie. See you.